Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And we have a great show in store for you guys today as we go through this Sunday afternoon recap. A lot to go over because we had no teams on by, so we have a full slate of games to talk about. Although there was a couple on Thursday. Of course, the Sunday night and the Monday night game we'll be talking about in Tuesday's episode. And we have the waiver wire report as well. No, we will not be doing a recap on the Tuesday night game that's going to be coming up. You can enjoy that preseason game as it's shaping up to be one. If anything significant happens, of course, we'll cover it in the preview show on Thursday, which will be available from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, streaming on your favorite Android app, iOS app. Also, make sure you can tune in at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Twitter and on Facebook to watch the video streams live there, too. Make sure you're checking out that app as well. And we have you know, some great things we have to cover. We're going into our last week of the regular season for fantasy football purposes. I mean, week, week 13 is, is basically here now. And we, we still have the Monday night game. We still have the Tuesday night game. I know there's going to be a lot of matchups that are going to be hinging on a Monday night and Tuesday night matchup this week as it'll go a little bit later. We'll see exactly what the platforms are going to do. If I remember correctly, ESPN, Yahoo, they did make an exception the last time we had a Tuesday night game and push things to Wednesday as far as the waivers are concerned. We'll see if that happens again. I don't have any information for you guys as far as that goes for those major platforms, what what exactly they're going to do, if they're going to do the same thing. I would imagine that they would, but that's still to be determined as of this moment right here, right now. So just plan to do your waiver wires on Tuesday. We'll have a waiver report show for you guys. We'll know exactly who we're targeting, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to move forward, who to try to prep you with heading into your playoff matchups. And of course, for a lot of people, it's going to come down to that week 13, whether or not you're even going to make the postseason. So for a lot of you, the postseason, frankly, it starts in week 13 because you have to win in order to have a chance to get in. And that's where recapping these shows and really going over what to expect from a fantasy perspective going forward, moving into next week, what it all means is really, really important. And we start off this show talking about the Los Angeles Chargers and the Buffalo Bills. 
Bills taking care of business here, of course, 27-17 to in this game. Coming off the bye, defense played much better than they really had going into the bye week. I mean, this is something that the Buffalo Bills have kind of been struggling with. They have not been a really good defensive team over the past, really the whole season, but especially the past few weeks, putting a lot of pressure on Josh Allen and that offense. They came through and played a good game. Herbert still had 316 yards and a touchdown interception, but took 52 pass attempts in order to get there. Really wasn't much of a running game in this one. Kalen Balaj was out for this ball game. And then you followed up with Austin Eckler returning. And returning in a big way. 11 catches for 85 yards on 16 targets. He was the lead targeted wide receiver. He was the lead pass catcher altogether for the Chargers in this game. In his first game back, also led the team in carries with 14 carries for 44 yards. Again, not very efficient on the ground, but he's still, for some for, for somebody that they came out and said yesterday, or I should say on Saturday, we recorded this Sunday night so you guys have it first thing Monday morning, but they came out right away on Saturday and said, while Eckler was going to be activated for this game, but they were not anticipating on making him the lead bell cow guy his first game back, kind of easing him in. Well, so much for that, because he still wound up with 25 touches in this game. Now, part of it may have been due to game script. Had the Chargers been leading in this game, or had it been a little bit closer throughout the game, then maybe we would have seen so much of Austin Eckler. But here's where you get confidence. If you finally got Eckler back in this game and you played him, hopefully you did, because he had a solid performance here. He doesn't find the end zone, but still goes over 100 yards from scrimmage. And if you're in PPR and half-point PPR leagues, you love the boost that he gave you with the 11 receptions. What you love more than any of that is the fact that he had 25 touches his first game back. He's the guy. And if you're worried about what exactly was the chemistry going to be after missing that amount of time with a rookie quarterback who's still kind of growing as these weeks have progressed, he's been growing without Austin Eckler, how is that going to affect things? Well, you got your answer here. Austin Eckler goes back to being the second best pass catcher on this Chargers team to Keenan Allen only. And in this game in particular, actually, I'll target him quite a bit, but more times than not, you could expect Eckler to be the second most targeted pass catcher on this team. And you go back to playing Eckler as a potential low-end RB1 candidate the rest of the way. And he's going to have matchups, he's going to have games in the next upcoming few weeks here where he's going to be more efficient on the ground to top it all off. But he has one of the highest floors now of any of the RB1s that you're looking at moving forward because of how involved he's going to be in the passing game. This game proved that. His first game back off the hamstring injury, there was no holding him back. They went full throttle, and Justin Herbert targeted him all day, every day. They're utilizing him as that playmaker. That's who they went after. That's who they wanted in this matchup. So if you you got Austin Eckler back at the right moment, if you are in fact still in playoff contention and were able to get yourself there without him. And if you did, my hat is off to you. Congratulations to you because that was not going to be an easy thing to do when you're missing a key running back piece. And now you have him for the playoff race and can expect the volume that you were hoping you would have out of him before he went down when Justin Herbert took over as well. So that's the good news there. We know what we have out of Austin Eckler now moving forward. And the other part of that is Hunter Henry still continue to be a top-targeted guy. In a year in which you're desperate to find a tight end that you can at least trust on a week-to-week basis, while Henry scored the last two weeks, this week he doesn't score, but seven catches, 67 yards on 10 targets, he's quickly becoming a favorite target of Justin Herbert. Keenan Allen, not a huge game, but four catches, 40 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. 
he continues to be the wide receiver one. The guy who winds up going back to being Mr. Obsolete or Mr. Odd Man Out, you want to put it that way, is Mike Williams. Because if all these targets are going to go to these intermediate and check down players as an Eckler and Henry and Allen, and this is very similar to what we saw early on in the season when Mike Williams was borderline unrosterable then, they went right back to it. And I don't believe that Mike Williams is going to have enough targets for him to have any kind of fantasy floor. You're all, if you play him, you're hoping, you're hoping and praying for just that one opportunity for a bomb touchdown that, frankly, in this offense, doesn't come very often because they are about dinking and dunking and moving their way down the field by attacking the intermediate part of the game. They don't take a lot of shots. They just don't. So, you know what? For Mike Williams, if you have picked him up because you've been showing a little bit more promise as of late, unfortunately, this is what you're going to have to do for Mike Williams. Prepare to be flushed. This is not a time of the year to be bashful. This is the time of the year where you need to start solidifying your lineups, your rosters, for what you're going to need over week 14, 15, and 16. I know some of you out there are on what I like to call amateur hour leagues, which is the week 17. For those of you who actually still play your championships going into week 17, I call you the amateur hour leagues. Don't worry. Like Just like every other year, as much as I make fun of you guys, as much as I think it's completely insane to have your championship week dependent upon a week in which people may just sit just because they're resting for the playoffs in the actual NFL, and it's insane to actually have your championship, your two best teams, have some of their studs possibly riding the bench in the second half, I will still be doing shows for you that week as well because I always still try to make sure I take care of you even though I'm going to make fun of you. Now, having said all that, we got to move over to the Buffalo Bills side of the ball. Zach Moss tried to take over. He did. At the beginning, it was it was a lot more Zach Moss to try to give him some goal line carries, but frankly, the better running back in this game was Devin Singletary. Now, Devin Singletary did have a bad fumble in this game. However, it didn't put him in a doghouse. I thought it might. I thought Zach Moss might take over after that, but it did not put him in the doghouse. This, to me, is concerning because it had been trending in the direction that Zach Moss was going to start becoming somebody who was going to take over that job. And we knew Devin Singletary would still be uh, a contributor and would still be involved. But we were starting to expect that maybe Zach Moss was starting to inch closer and closer to that day where he would be the lead back and Singletary would simply compliment him. And we thought that had a really good chance to happen coming out of the bye week because we had seen it throughout several different teams so far this season where they came out of the bye week and they allowed the rookie to kind of take over the backfield. That didn't happen in this game. Devin Singletary actually outworks Zach Moss in this game. 14 touches to 11 touches. Which means you're back to the drawing board when it comes to Buffalo Bills running back. Which means neither one of them is anything better than a flex play. And which means neither one of them has much of a ceiling. And while they are not going to be players that you definitely have to dump because you do need peace players while you're going through the playoffs. You need guys you know, who might be able to step in in case somebody unexpectedly goes down due to injury and you don't necessarily have that person's handcuff. Or you need a better, or they're somebody who doesn't have a great handcuff to begin with, so you need a more quality option. They're guys that need to be rostered. But I don't know how you're going to be playing Zach Moss or Devin Singletary moving forward unless one of them gets hurt over the next few weeks. That's the only way. And now with this development, 
Now we know that Zach Moss isn't necessarily taking over the job, which just throws a whole other set of curveballs into the mix when trying to figure out exactly what kind of value you're going to get out of this Buffalo Bills rushing attack. And this is also a game where the Bills were leading pretty much the entire game. And yet, while 20 carries for one running back would have been a nice sample size, overall, still only 20 carries for the running backs as a whole. And when you have two guys that are already kind of splitting, essentially 50-50 across the board, that's not going to be enough. And it's not enough carries for the running back unit as a whole when you're leading a game like this to begin with, at home, coming off the bye week. It just goes back to they're nothing more than low-end RB3s that you're playing for a floor and don't have very good ceilings, pretty much. So nothing really changes there, unfortunately. We're keeping our eye on this, and what we're told is that Zach Moss isn't going to take over the job. Josh Allen had one of his most mediocre days on the year, but 32 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown. Once again, Allen able to bail you out and make sure you still get a high floor even when he doesn't have a good passing day. And it's not like he was terrible in the passing game. Only threw the ball 24 times in this one. That was the big key. 18 to 24, 157 yards, a touchdown, one interception. Bigger days will be ahead for Josh Allen, but do I think that you're going to get a string of games throughout your playoff race that matches similar to what you saw earlier on in the season? What made you so excited about in the first place? No. I've been talking about this for a while that I think those days are gone. That Josh Allen's come back down to earth. He looks more like what he was a season ago. And while he has some better weapons therefore giving him a higher floor in the passing attack and a bigger ceiling in certain matchups. Overall, he's still the same quarterback, meaning you're going to lean on his rushing attack to establish a floor, and if he has a good game passing, then you got yourself a top-five quarterback. Chargers defense also came back you know, more healthy than they had been in a while. Joey Bosa was having a great game as well. Josh Allen obviously will be a must-start for you every single week, but... Like I just want to warn you guys now, if you're expecting those ceiling games throughout your playoff race you saw early on in the season, I don't think those are a definite depending upon the matchup. Stephon Diggs in this one, again, he always has a high target floor. Nine targets in this ball game, seven catches, only 39 yards. Wasn't the great stat line you're necessarily looking for, but the nine targets leave you always feeling good about moving on into the next week. You look at this game script, like I said, they were ahead pretty much the entire time. They only threw the ball 24 times total to begin with, and Stephon Diggs still got nine targets in this game. He just, he more times not, he's been a guy who's been getting double-digit targets nonstop. That is the key for him right there. So he'll be fine moving forward. Gabriel Davis, one of my calls in the DC's DFS Challenge show this past Saturday, Talked about Gabriel Davis being a DFS play at his value point because Chris Harris was back, so I expected Cole Beasley not to have a good game, and he did it in this one. Two catches, 25 yards. John Brown was out. Stephon Diggs' matchup on Hayward, who's done a pretty good job taking away the number one wide receiver of the opposing teams for the most part. So that left Gabriel Davis with the best mismatch as far as the Bills wide receivers go against this Chargers secondary. And he delivered three catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown on four targets. That's what you were looking for out of him. So kind of interesting note there. Somebody to maybe keep in mind if you have to take a dart throw in these next upcoming weeks. Not going to be on the waiver wide part. Not going to be somebody I want to be going after. But is a name to consider with John Brown now on the IR, depending upon the matchup. Gabriel Davis is somebody you might be able to gauge 
as far as when he might have a decent little game here and there. Now, definitely more of a DFS play than he will be in a redraft league at this point. But somebody to kind of keep in mind. Let's move on here. Let's move to the Cleveland Browns and move to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This game wound up being much closer than anticipated, much closer than it should have been, especially with Mike Lennon as a starting quarterback in this game. 235 yards and two touchdowns for Mike Lennon. Actually looked more competent than any other quarterback the Jacksonville Jaguars have played so far this season. Shockingly enough, somehow. Even with no DJ Chark, even with no Chris Conley either. Colin Johnson was the big man on the day. A lot of people are asking, like, well, can Keelan Cole take a step up? Can it be LaVisca Chanel who's back from his hamstring injury? No, none of the above. It was Colin Johnson, four catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets in this game. Now, I like Colin Johnson a lot. I liked him in college. I think he has a nice little skill set there. We don't know exactly what the status is going to be for DJ Chark moving into next week. But I think this might be a one-hit wonder out of Colin Johnson. So not somebody I'm going to be considering. However, this does go to prove the point of if Keelan Cole is the number one wide receiver for the team, or at least the number one wide receiver that the opposing defense is going to game plan for, he's not actually good enough to be productive when DJ Chark's not on the field. Plain and simple. In fact, there's not a pass catcher on the Jacksonville Jaguars not named DJ Chark that should even be on your roster in the first place. Period. James Robinson, on the other hand, full go. Had been falling down more and more as more of a high-end RB2 than a low-end RB1 in my book, and he's got a tough schedule coming up at that. But in this game, man, 22 carries, 128 yards, and a touchdown, tacked on five receptions for 31 yards on six targets in this game. He just continues to be a beast no matter what the situation is, no matter who they're playing against. No matter if the Jaguars' offense is able to move the ball as a whole or not or set up scoring opportunities or not, he has constantly been able to find himself in a situation where he just performs and he just produces. And James Robinson is just as much of a must-play as really anybody else out there in fantasy football leagues, despite this horrendous team and this horrendous offense. He move over to the Brown side of the ball. And we could talk about Nick Chubb having a big game like we expected him to have. 144 yards and a touchdown in this game. Expected him to have a great game against Jacksonville in that matchup. We could talk about how Kareem Hunt had a, not an awesome game, but had 62 yards on the ground, 10 catches. The big thing was Kareem Hunt wasn't able to get going in the passing game. And that leads into what we really need to talk about, which is Jarvis Landry. He didn't get going in the passing game because Jarvis Landry ate up all the targets. 11 targets in this game, 8 catches, 143 yards, and a touchdown. Now, let's lead off, and I know this might sound a little pessimistic, but let's lead off with the main thing that we have to talk about Jarvis Landry. Is this going to be, hands down, his best game of the year, even including moving forward? Yeah, 100%. I would be shocked if we saw Jarvis Landry put up another 143-yard touchdown performance. Those big games like that are not usually in his general repertoire, even when he's having good seasons generally speaking. However, what it does show you is that when the Browns are able to get the hell out of Cleveland and they're able to not have crazy hurricane, freezing, rain type of weather with with 50-mile-an-hour winds every week like they've been having Cleveland for the past couple of home games, that the target share that he had been getting even in those games, comparatively speaking to the rest of the wide receivers, and what you would expect him to receive with no OBJ in the lineup, 
can pay off. It can. He showed you, like, no, he is healthy enough to produce if there's actually weather that will allow them to throw the ball with some effectiveness. And also throw it more than, you know, in the teens and actually get into the 20s. Baker Mayfield threw the ball 29 times in this game. That's the most he's thrown the ball in a month. So while this was definitely, this eight-catch, 143-yard, a touchdown performance out of Jarvis Landry was hands down going to be his best game of the season. He does establish himself as somebody who can again become a wide receiver three because the targets are going to be there. Now, we just have to keep in mind that when they're playing Cleveland or wherever, that they have crazy monsoon weather. Well, I mean, the Browns aren't going to push it because their offense is still going to revolve around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And what a beast Nick Chubb has been. I mean, really, what a beast Nick Chubb has been. He's been on fire since coming back. He's a superstar in this league. And the fact that he's able to produce the way that he is, even with Kareem Hunt being as involved as he is, is really a testament to where what his skill set is and what kind of offense he's in this year. And as long as he does not get injured, he's going to be an RB1 the rest of the way. I mean, very, very impressive. But those are the big things you take out from the Brown side. So we can move along here. We can go to the Tennessee Titans. We talk about the Indianapolis Colts. The Titans in a blowout victory. A blowout victory. Now I talk about going into this game that I felt like usually when you have two pretty evenly matched divisional opponents that whoever got the first game, normally the other team will get the second game. These are just two teams that are too good to really wind up sweeping one or the other. Usually they'll split. So I had a feeling the Titans were going to come out and win this game. By no means did I think it was going to be a blowout. In Indianapolis. That was crazy. And Ryan Tannehill didn't have to do too much. He's not passing the ball anyway. Only 22 pass attempts in this game. 221 yards, a touchdown. Did have a rushing touchdown. The reason I lead off with Ryan Tannehill is this. A lot of people have been bailing on Tannehill. A lot of people have been dropping him. And I've been warning you guys, if you can if you can help it, to not. Because their schedule after this game in particular gets much easier the rest of the way gets much easier the rest of the way. Where Ryan Tannehill will be a top 12 quarterback for the rest of your fantasy football playoffs. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. RingCentral, simpler communications. And that's why I was saying don't get rid of him yet. And because he had a decent game from a fantasy perspective in this game, mostly because he tacked on the rushing touchdown here, I think that will give people the confidence that he could have a decent game against the Colts, that maybe he can get back to being a top 12 performer with some of these easier matchups they have coming up on Doc. 
So it just goes to show Ryan Tannehill is still going to be a top 12 guy the rest of the way. Derrick Henry. What a monster. What a monster. Now, I had a feeling he could have a better game in this one because you had Buckner, who is not there for the Indianapolis Colts in this ballgame. He was ruled out with an injury, which made that defensive line, especially the interior of the defensive line, a little bit more susceptible than it normally is. That leads to Derrick Henry with this offensive line that, frankly, is not very good to have opportunities it wouldn't normally have. Derrick Henry, we all know that he's a second-half guy. We all know that when you go through the first half, you may only have three or four points out of Derrick Henry in the first half. But you're not worried about it because you know your points that are going to get you to that 15, 20-point range every single week are all going to come in the second half. Well, this game, uh uh-uh. It was all four quarters that Derrick Henry was getting loved throughout this game with 27 carries for 178 yards and three touchdowns. It was right off the jump that he was playing well. Right off the jump. Again, another guy who has a, first of all, we know he's an elite RB1, but when you look at his schedule of the playoffs, who? He might be the RB1, especially with Dalvin Cook having cooled off a little bit, it seems like, over the past few weeks. We'll talk about that game in a little bit later. As far as the wide receivers go, A.J. Brown back on top in a way. He's only had six targets in this game. Now, not one of them being the lead in the targets, which I guess you could look at as a good thing because him and Corey Davis kind of going back and forth as far as who's the lead targeted guy. Still, six targets is not something you feel super comfortable about, but making the most of those targets. And that's what A.J. Brown does. He makes the most of his opportunities. He should get more opportunities, and I'm waiting for the day that happens, and it may not happen until next year and when Corey Davis is gone. We'll see. But he makes the most of his opportunities. Had a 69-yard touchdown in this one. Off of a slant at that. Just took it to the house himself after the catch. Four catches, 98 yards. And then he tacked on an extra touchdown for his fantasy owners by returning an onside kick to the end zone. Something that does not happen very often. Does not happen very often. And instead of just falling on the ball, he picked it up and saw there was a big hole in front of him. And he took it and he took off for a nice return touchdown. So it has two touchdowns in this game. One on special teams. That was crazy. And it was good to see. He had a bad drop against the Colts the first time around where he would have had a 70-yard touchdown in that game. It was also good to see because A.J. Brown was somebody who was on the waiver wire, or not the waiver wire, but the injury report throughout the week. He didn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday. He didn't come back to practice till Friday, where he did practice in full. And I've been talking about all week how I noticed that he was in some pain when he fell on his knee in overtime of last week's game. So it was good to see that not only was he healthy enough to get through this game, but he was explosive and he was his old A.J. Brown self, meaning you have no concerns about him moving forward. And he continues to be in your lineup. Corey Davis, three catches, 70 yards, only three targets in this game. There wasn't, again, Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 22 times. And they dominated this game pretty much from start to finish. There, there wasn't an emphasis for a lot of volume here. But the guys that you want to see get the ball got the ball. The guys that you want to make sure they have the floor, like a Corey Davis right now, had a floor. And he continues to be a wide receiver three moving forward. Flip it over the Colts side of the ball. No Jonathan Taylor because of he tested or was on put on, I shouldn't say he tested, his girlfriend, I believe, tested positive. He was on the COVID reserve list as a result to that. So you had Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. 
The big question going into the day, of course, was going to be, who is it going to be? Was it going to be Naeem Hines or Jordan Wilkins? Well, Jordan Wilkins winds up getting banged up in this game, and while he did come back, he missed a decent chunk of it. So ultimately, it wound up being Naeem Hines. Now, on the ground, there was nothing to be had, which is kind of sad when you think about this matchup against the Tennessee Titans here and how they should be a plus matchup on the ground. But 2.9 yards for Naeem Hines, 3.7 for Jordan Wilkins. Neither one were very efficient. However, Hines was the lead targeted guy on the day. Eight catches, 66 yards on 10 targets. That 10 targets was only was, was one target ahead of the next wide receiver, which was Michael Pittman, who had nine targets in this game. Only two catches for 28 yards. But the nine targets I thought was interesting. The nine targets told me that I believe Michael Pittman is now officially the number one wide receiver of the Indianapolis Colts, even with only having a two-catch, 28-yard performance. Now, not that I didn't think that Michael Pittman wasn't already trending in the direction of being the number one receiver for the Colts or being the only fantasy pass catcher of the Colts that you really wanted to have. Still, while still, you know, obviously still considering Naeem Hines more of a running back than a pass catcher. It was still good to see that in a game in which he didn't perform, he was still targeted the most out of all the other wide receivers. I mean, T.Y. Hilton was the one who actually had the bigger game. Four catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. His first really decent game of the year, frankly. But only came on five targets. Meaning he's not becoming fantasy relevant all of a sudden, but if you've been stashing Michael Pittman, I would continue to do so. Now, as far as what to think of this running back situation moving forward, well, we don't know that Jonathan Taylor will definitely be back next week. We have to see exactly what happens in testing negative and all that stuff. We're going to have to go through the COVID protocols. It's not a given that he's definitely back next week. So there's a chance that it could be a Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines again the following week. Do I think it's a bit game script dependent upon which running back is going to be more valuable? Yes, I do. But we know Naeem Hines, no matter what, will be the lead pass-catching running back of the two. Therefore, when you're in half-point and full-point PPR leagues, Naeem Hines is the guy that you want to own. Would I be surprised if next week, and there's no Jonathan Taylor, that is, when we come back and Jordan Wilkins is the lead ball carrier? Uh, No, that wouldn't surprise me. But Naeem Hines will still be the lead pass catcher out of the backfield. And they're both going to get involved. So we'll see if Jonathan Taylor is able to come back. But Naeem Hines is the guy that you want to own in fantasy football. We're moving to the Dolphins and the New York Jets, and we don't have to spend too much time on this 20-3. to Very boring game. A big win for the Dolphins. They're right in the playoff mix right now, understandably. And it was, you know, they won by 17 points. So they won convincingly. It was the most boring, watching the paint dry victory for the Miami Dolphins I've ever seen in my entire life. But they did what they had to do. Ryan Fitzpatrick came in. He was a streaming option for a lot of people at the last second. Figure Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Jets. Chan Gailey against the Jets. Just Ryan Fitzpatrick in general tends to take shots down the field to his receivers a little bit more. So you knew Devontae Parker, who did have a good game in this game, was going to be set up very well. 14 targets, 8 catches, 119 yards. Devontae Parker owners need Ryan Fitzpatrick. And really, probably the best news that could have came out of today for Devontae Parker owners, not for the player or for the owners of this team, or this player, but for Devontae Parker owners, was that there is a report out there talking about the idea that Tua Tagovailoa may miss a few weeks with a thumb injury. Basically, what had happened 
is that while they had been progressing through the week, hoping that Tua was, in fact, going to be able to go, he was unable to grip the football with much strength and affected his throwing. Meaning that this thumb issue is something that might linger and might not disappear after this week either. So there's a real chance that we're going to see Ryan Fitzpatrick again in week 13. How many weeks two is going to miss, I think is anybody's guess. The expectation is he will be back before the playoffs. Maybe in the next two to three weeks type of timeline. But if you're a Parker owner, you're sitting there like, you need Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because Devontae Parker becomes a solid wide receiver too with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick back there, our quarterback. Because he allows his guys to make plays. Now, I'm not trying to knock Tua here. It's part of the, you know, it's part of the territory that he's in. As a rookie quarterback who kind of has a veteran breathing down his neck and is in charge, got placed as a starter in charge of a team that was on the way to the playoffs, is on the way to the playoffs. He's going out there with more of the mindset that he doesn't want to make mistakes, not necessarily with the mindset of let's be aggressive and get my playmakers a chance to make plays. There's a different mindset when Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in. When Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in, he doesn't care if he makes mistakes. He doesn't care if he throws interceptions. He's going with the mindset that if he sees a one-on-one and a chance to give his guy a jump ball opportunity for him to go make a play, he's going to allow him to do so. That's why Parker gets 14 targets compared to the five, maybe seven targets all hovering around the line of scrimmage, touchdown-dependent status that he was in with Tua Tagovailoa quarterback. That's the difference. So as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback, Devontae Parker is a solid wide receiver too because he's going to be given opportunities. So for now, his, his, his value rises, and you can play him. Mike Isicki, I know he had the touchdown in this game. Two catches, 35 yards on five targets. Nothing much has really changed for Mike Isicki as far as what his overall volume winds up being. Now, let's talk about the running game a little bit. Savant Abed got ruled out. Miles Gaskin, they determined not quite ready to come back. So you're wondering, all right, with them now out and DeAndre Washington being the guy that they just brought in a few weeks ago, Maybe Matt Breed would get the opportunity to be the guy. And then he fumbled. <laughs> and then DeAndre Washington was the guy. What became abundantly clear in this game, that no matter it doesn't matter what situation arises, doesn't matter how many running backs go down, unless it's everybody except for Matt Breida, Breida's just not going to be the guy for this team. He's just not. Plain and simple. They were more comfortable going with DeAndre Washington for the rest of this game than sticking with Matt Breida, who they brought in during the offseason. That much was made clear. So until Savant Ahmed is able to come back, until Miles Gaskins is able to come back, I'm not touching a Miami Dolphins running back. And even then, I don't know how much I want to own one either because both Ahmed and Gaskin are going to have roles. I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to what we're seeing up in Buffalo with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss where they're basically on a 50-50 split. They do a lot of the same stuff. They're both decent pass catchers. They're both decent runners. Neither one of them is overly great at one or the other. Neither one of them is really much more talented than one or the other. I think Ahmed's a little bit of a better runner. Gaskin might be a little bit of a better fluid pass catcher, have a little bit better understanding of of pass blocking because he's been in the league a little bit longer. But I truly believe that they're going to be essentially on a 50-50 split 
and in a committee once gas once they're both able to come back and return. So then all of a sudden you're talking about a situation where it's like the Buffalo Bills in which are you either one of you really more than an RB3? That's going to be the question. I don't know if you're going to be able to trust the Dolphins running back the rest of the way, frankly. So something to kind of keep your eye on. On the Jets' side of the ball, Sam Darnold made his return. And it, kept, it was really funny because every time I would tune into this broadcast throughout the day, I would always hear the announcer talk about, like, oh, Sam Darnold finally has his full plethora of weapons for the first time all season. Of course, referring to having a healthy Prashad Perryman, a healthy Denzel Mims, and a healthy Jameson Crowder all at the same time. And uh, this is what his great stat line he was able to accomplish with having all three of his quote-unquote top-notch dog receivers back in the lineup. It was 16 of 27 for 197 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. So that is what you can do with a full plethora of weapons. Now, first of all, I will say this in his defense. I don't consider Brashad Perryman and Denzel Mims at this point yet, at least. I do think he has a bright future, but not right now, as big dog weapons, as they were trying to describe it as. James Crowder, fine. I, I'm hard-pressed to find better slot receivers out there than James Crowder. He's, he's a very good wide receiver. I think he's underrated in, in the eyes of the national uh, media out there. But... Rashad Perryman is a journeyman. Denzel Mims is a guy who has not had much playing time as a rookie, still developing, has a lot, of, a lot of natural ability, but was frankly raw coming out of college as far as being a technician at the wide receiver position. I like his, I like his potential quite a bit, but come on, this full dog of weapons. So I will say that in Sam Darnold's defense. However. Being that he had more talent on that field than really he has at any point, that much is true, wasn't very impressive. And even Jamison Crowder I was disappointed by because he only had five targets for three catches and 31 yards. The big thing I felt like with Sam Darnold coming back was that it guaranteed that Jamison Crowder would not only go back to being the number one wide receiving target for this team, but that he would maybe look at double-digit targets again and start becoming a wide receiver three, maybe even a low-end wide receiver two again when you're talking about half-point, full-point PPR leagues. Instead, he was the third guy in targets because Perryman and Mims both split at eight. So it's disappointing in that sense. And it really means that, okay, well now if Crowder's not going to get that heavy amount of targets, and I still think, I still think he ultimately will. This is still Sam Darnold, still Adam Gase that we're talking about Ultimately, the slot receiver is going to be the guy who gets targeted the most. However, if we're now going to have a little bit of this volume taken away because Denzel Mims and Brashad Perryman will have to be involved, or at least it will be more of a focus point to get involved, and Perryman was the best receiver on the day for the team so far, well then, Crowder getting that double-digit volume type of work that was giving him such a high floor to begin with may not be there. Meaning there's not a single New York Jet that I want to own for fantasy football purposes because he was already the only one that I cared about to begin with. Especially Sam Darnold back at their quarterback. Now, if Joe Flacco were to return at some point, we'll talk about Perryman. But if it's going to be Darnold the rest of the way, now all of a sudden there's literally not one single Jet who should be on your roster for your fantasy football playoffs. Not one. That's how bad it's become if we're not going to start divvying out targets all over the place. So let's move into the New England Patriots, talk about the Arizona Cardinals. The Patriots pulling off a big win at home in a big spot here. Kyler Murray, they could talk all they want to about, oh, he was 100%. He was able to work through practice. Uh-uh. I call bull crap. He was not 100% in this game. 
That much was clear. His throws were lofted. There was no real sharpness to him, no tightness to him. He wasn't darting anything anywhere. It just, he wasn't Kyler Murray throwing the football. And while he's never been the most efficient pass, pass thrower to this point in the NFL anyway, there was definitely something off. And also an unwillingness to really have to stretch his arm out too often. He's not taking as many deep shots. Hasn't since he had the shoulder injury. And in this game, didn't really have the big performance on the ground that you've come accustomed to, why Kyler Murray was always able to establish himself as a top-five quarterback, even if he wasn't having the most efficient day throwing the football. He's only had 31 yards rushing. Now, are you're not going to be benching Kyler Murray or anything like that, obviously. He's still been the QB1 so far this season. But am I a little bit concerned until that shoulder, until that AC joint sprain is able to go away a little bit? He's able to get a little bit more mobility and a little more confidence throwing the ball down the field and taking a few more shots. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. While he'll give you a high floor every single week and bail you out more times than not with his legs, in games like this where teams are able to contain him to some degree on the ground, his shoulder's not right. Well, he's only going to look to dink and dunk. That's a problem. That is a problem. So a little bit concerning, especially given where we are in the fantasy season right now, when we're on the cusp of the playoffs. Just something to kind of keep your eye on. You're going to want to see that AC joint sprain heal up sooner rather than later. Now, in the meantime, Kenyon Drake finally having some fantasy performances for you guys over the past couple of weeks. 22 carries, 78 yards, two touchdowns in this game. And while it was only a three-catch, 15-yard performance, still tacked on four targets, only one less than Chase Edmonds in this game. Kenyon Drake, for the last three weeks now, has been involved in the passing game. Now, again, that can be attributed. It's kind of it's kind of a vice versa thing. If you own Kyler Murray, you need his shoulder to get better. If you own Kenyon Drake, however, you're good with his shoulder being a little messed up. You're good with him having to check the ball down and not take too many shots down the field because now, all of a sudden, Kenyon Drake's finally getting involved in the passing game like you should be as a result of that. So it's kind of a catch-22 depending on which Arizona Cardinal you own on your fantasy lineups. The one guy who's been a disappointment for the past few weeks now is DeAndre Hopkins. Had a bad game against Seattle. Didn't have a good game here. Seven targets, five catches, 55 yards. This guy is supposed to be a top three wide receiver in fantasy football for you guys right now. He hasn't been delivering over the past few weeks. And there's another guy who does get hurt, unlike Kenyon Drake who gets boosted by it, but he does get hurt with the idea that Kyler Murray's arm is not going to take too many shots down the field. It's not going to be able to stretch out defenses. It's a little bit banged up. That does That is going to continue to hurt DeAndre Hopkins to some degree. Can't bench him. Still going to be number one target, obviously. But those big performances, those big double-digit targets, over 100 yards, touchdown performances, I don't think they come back until Kyler Murray's shoulder is feeling better. That could be, that could be as soon as next week. He's been able to play through it so far. It's all about whether the swelling goes down and he's able to get more mobility back. It's just unclear about exactly when that may happen. So just something to kind of keep your eye on again. In the meantime, though, I'm not going to play guys like Christian Kirk and all these other little pieces that were maybe popping up as interesting guys to maybe go with alongside DeAndre Hopkins, Kirk being the biggest one. 
but you're not gonna you're not gonna go with a Christian Kirk when you have a Kyler Murray that you know is not getting the ball to his main weapons with any kind of consistency right now. So Kirk's somebody that I still want to own because he's developed that rapport. He's been that number two. He's had a nice season so far. He's definitely somebody worth owning on your teams, but not somebody who I'm going to be looking to play until I know that shoulder is better. Now, moving on to the New England side of the ball, from a fantasy perspective, everything was very mediocre. They put up 20 points somehow. I, I lied. The only per- there was one person who was not mediocre, and that was James White. But it wasn't because of the passing game. I thought James White was going to come into this game with a nice little floor if you're in a PPR, half-point PPR league thinking that this was a game script where the Patriots would have to score points, more points, would have to try to make a comeback in the second half, which they did wind up doing that, and James White would be the big benefactor as far as the passing game goes. Well, that was wrong. He only had one target in this game, one catch for negative one yards. But the big surprise on the day, James White was suddenly the goal line back. He had two touchdowns in this game, both coming from within the five, within the 10-yard line, I believe it was, both of them. Two touchdowns. That never happens with James White. Never. And it was just a testament to Rex Burkhead not being out there. And while Sonny Michelle was technically activated for this game, he did not play in this game, did not receive any touches in this game. It was all Damian Harris. Now, of course, all Damian Harris was only 14 carriers for 47 yards, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. But that's something that we're going to have to watch moving forward again because we know that as Sony Michelle gets healthy, he might get worked into the rotation. I think the smart thing for the Patriots to do moving forward would be to stick with Damian Harris and James White coming out of the backfield and just using those two as a duo. But we know the Patriots don't actually roll that way which means Harris goes back down to being nothing more than an RB3. And while he could be, he should be somebody that you own in case something happens to Michelle again or in case he just simply takes over, he, you can't play him, period. You just can't. So all that to keep in mind. As far as Patriots are concerned, I mean, I, I'm good with Jacoby Myers. I'm, I'm good with keeping him as a wide receiver three. Five catches, 52 yards. He's definitely, without a doubt, from a week-in, week-out basis, the best wide receiver that the Patriots have. 
So I'm okay with him as a wide receiver three. But as far as Cam goes, I mean, it's hard to figure out when to use him. He's been hovering around the top 12 area pretty much all season long. But he just has these games like this one where he goes 9 of 18 for 84 yards and no passing touchdowns and two picks. And while he had 46 yards on the ground, he didn't have any rushing touchdowns. And when he has a passing line like that, you need the rushing touchdowns from Cam to save your fantasy day. It's becoming very, very difficult to know when that exactly will happen, even though he's been sort of a top 12 guy. But he just has this kind of floor, like we saw in this week. It's very... I'm going to look at Cam Newton here as very matchup-based throughout the playoffs. If he has an obvious great matchup for a quarterback, then you can play him, know that he's got a chance to rush for a touchdown, know that he's a decent chance to be at least a competent stat line in the passing game. But if it's remotely tough at all, and with Arizona, they've been their defense has been playing a little bit better as of late. They've been taking notice of that. They've been getting a little bit more pressure. They've been playing a little bit more discipline. Especially solid over the middle. And they have a lot of speed. It's going to be very matchup dependent, I believe, for Cam Newton moving forward. So let's get into the Raiders and the Falcons game. Talk about a blowout win for the Falcons. Talk about a game that no nobody saw at least going in this manner. Derek Carr becoming somebody who a lot of people wanted to stream. I mean, he had the big game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Going up against the Atlanta Falcons, you expect a similar type of attacking game plan, given that you can attack the Falcons down the field quite a bit. At least most people can. But Derek Carr not able to take advantage in this one. In fact, turned into a turnover machine with a couple of fumbles and an interception. 215, only 215 yards through the air. Hunter Renfro was the big pass catcher on the day. Seven catches, 73 yards on nine targets. But Darren Waller, four catches, 23 yards. Nelson Aguilar was okay, I guess. Five catches, 54 yards. But he had been somebody that I thought was starting to become their big play shot and really been their number one wide receiver as far as targets go for the most part over the last last few weeks. But there was definitely a game plan early on that called for getting Henry Ruggs involved. And he walks away with three catches, 56 yards. But he had five targets. That's more than he's been involved with in a while. And that took away from how much I think Nelson Aguilar could have wound up being involved in this game as a result of that. Now, Aguilar was just somebody that I thought was a matchup-based home run threat that you can kind of go to, and that's kind of the role that he's played in. And we'll see what we get moving forward. But outside of Darren Waller, there aren't too many pass catchers I definitely trust on a week-in, week-out basis. It'll just kind of be matchup dependent on what we expect the game script to be from week to week. Now, what we do got to talk about is Josh Jacobs. Now, not just because about you know Josh Jacobs not having a good game in this one. Only seven carries, 27 yards, three catches, 17 yards on three targets. Jacobs definitely lost some people their weeks this week, and he had a fumble. The big thing we got to talk about is the fact that you're going to have an ankle injury that you're going to have to look out for for the rest of the week now. I believe it happened in the somewhere, somewhere in the third quarter. Because of the game script, you didn't have to play that much anyway because they are already getting blown out by the Atlanta Falcons. So nobody thought too much of it, but they did make a statement that they did recognize Josh Jacobs had a bit of an ankle issue. John Gruden sounded like he was a little bit concerned about it, or at least concerned enough knowing that it will hinder him throughout this week. Now, Jacobs has proven time and time again to be one of the toughest running backs out there, and he finds a way to play through injury. And I know that if you're a Jacobs owner, 
and you're going in your Week 13 matchups, and it's a big matchup for you, you want him against the New York Jets. 100% understandable. But this is why I talked about you have to pick up your handcuffs for your elite guys. This is why I talked about picking up Devontae Booker a week ago. I warned you guys then. This is why. You're going into the playoff race. If something happens to one of your studs, especially at the running back position, make sure you have his backup. Make sure you have him ahead of time. Be proactive instead of reactive. Because now, while Booker will probably once again be on my waiver wire report, because Jacobs now has an injury that we're not sure whether or not he'll keep him out for a week or not, or what the, what the timeline is, frankly, on it at all, everyone's going to use every last resource that they have going after Devontae Booker this week. If you have Jacobs and you're not in position with those resources to be able to get him, whether it's a high-priority pick or whether you have still have a lot of fab budget money left, you're gonna be you're gonna be left in a tough situation. This is why if you have a top running back who has a clear-cut handcuff, I can understand that if you know, like in Jonathan Taylor's case, for instance, I can completely understand why people would not have owned. Jordan Wilkins, or may not have owned Naeem Hines. Because it's a three-man carousel. If Jonathan Taylor goes down, there wasn't a clear-cuff handcuff. We weren't sure who it was going to be until the game started. Then I get it. That's what I understand. But if you have a guy where there's a clear handcuff, well, you have to pick that guy up at this point in the season heading into the postseason. So hopefully, this, hopefully Josh Jacobs doesn't miss any time, but hopefully this also offers a cautionary tale for those of you who are in a lot of leagues who don't own these guys, and they should all be owned. So just a little piece of fantasy advice there moving forward. You switch it over to the Atlanta side. Matt Ryan was, again, very mediocre without Julio Jones in the lineup. It didn't matter that it was the Raiders. It didn't matter that it was in Atlanta. Now, you can make the argument that part of that was because their special teams and their defense played really, really well and really set them up, I would argue that, well, guess what? When this game was still kind of close during the beginning, Matt Ryan and the entire Atlanta offense still looked like crap out there without Julio Jones. They didn't have Todd Gurley either, which brings me to my next point with the running back situation. I thought Brian Hill would be the lead guy. Huh. There was more of a split between him and Edo Smith than I thought there was going to be. Now, I thought there was a chance that maybe Edo Smith would wind up outworking Brian Hill in the passing game. Never did I think... It was going to be a near 50-50 split on the ground. 12 carries for Edo Smith to Brian Hill's 13. 65 yards and a touchdown on the ground for Edo. While Brian Hill had 55 yards, no touchdowns. Both were efficient runners, but they both cut into each other. And we nobody, I don't think, expected really Edo Smith to be that involved on the ground like he was. Thought maybe in the passing game, but not on the ground. And Brian Hill, who's supposed to be a pretty good pass catcher, who does play, by the way, in passing downs when Todd Gurley is the guy, only had one target and was pretty much didn't play in those situations because they allowed to be Edo Smith. I mean, does Dirk Cutter just have it a system where it's like, hey, you know what? If you're the second running back, you get to play on passing downs, no matter who you are. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's the idea or what the case may be. But Brian Hill, who was a hot kind of pickup, the plug-and-play against the Raiders here, really came through the disappointing performance. We'll see what's going on with Todd Gurley's knee, if he's able to return next week or not. But what this shows you is that there's not a true handcuff here. It's not just a one-man. It will be a committee. And if it's going to be a committee on the Atlanta Falcons, frankly, I don't want anything to do with it. So I don't think there's any reason 
to own Brian Hill. I don't think there's any reason to go after Anito Smith moving forward. I think you're 100% a situation where it's you have Todd Gurley, you don't really have a handcuff, and who cares? And maybe this game offers you some clarity if you've had both Gurley and Brian Hill thinking you had his handcuff. Well, yeah, maybe you don't. Maybe you just own Gurley. Maybe he's not worth having a handcuff for. Calvin Ridley, six catches, 50 yards, a touchdown, nine targets, led the way, no surprise there. Hayden Hurst was, eh, four catches, 48 yards, eight targets. That's the one silver lining you get here with the tight end. You have a tight end who's consistently getting a high amount of targets from a week-to-week basis. You stick with that tight end, plain and simple. Here's what I will offer as good news for Julio Jones and, frankly, this entire Atlanta Falcon offense when it comes to a fantasy standpoint, is that at least Julio was able to return to practice on Wednesday and Thursday, enough to get listed as limited. Didn't practice on Friday, which is ultimately why I think he was held out in this game. But it does seem like on the surface, Julio had a fighting chance to be able to suit up this week. Now, we never expected that to actually happen, but it seemed like he had a fighting chance for that to maybe happen, which does leave the door open a little bit more for him to come back in Week 13. And the sooner Julio can come back, the better, not just for Julio Jones owners, but for everybody else involved who has pieces of this Atlanta Falcon team. Moving on here, we talk about the Carolina Panthers and the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings winning in dramatic fashion by one point, 28-27. Kirk Cousins had himself a day, even with no Adam Thielen. Over 300 yards and three touchdowns in this ballgame. 45 pass attempts. Justin Jefferson coming through. He was the big target man on the day. We expected that to happen. 13 targets, 7 catches, 70 yards, and 2 touchdowns in this one. But a lot of people, Kirk Cousins did a heck of a job spreading the ball around for an offense that has been built around one running back and two receivers pretty much this entire season and nobody else really seeing the ball. He really spread the ball out in this one because B.C. Johnson had 7 targets, 7 catches, 74 yards. Kyle Rudolph, seven catches, 68 yards on eight targets. Chad Beebe, who wound up getting the game-winning touchdown, seven catches, 63 yards on seven targets. This is the most I've seen. I think I've seen them spread the ball out in a really long time. Ever since the, the Stefanski and Kubiak you know, agenda came to be for this offense, I haven't seen them spread the ball out past two guys in probably a couple seasons now. So that was very interesting to see. The disappointment, of course, was Dalvin Cook, four catches, 21 yards, 18 carries, 61 yards on the ground. That was it. Cook actually got a little bit banged up in this game, but he really didn't miss much time. Against the Carolina Panthers, you're hoping for bigger performances out of that, especially out of Dalvin Cook. Doesn't change anything for him moving forward, other than you're glad he stayed healthy. And other and again, it's another cautionary tale. If you have Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison's out there sitting on your waiver wire, uh, Alexander Madison just became your number one priority. All right, so just kind of keep that in mind. Adam Thielen, we'll see if he's able to come back next week. Early on, we were getting news about him. He had a he had a positive, then he had a negative, and then we were waiting all week long for another word on another test to tell us, like, whoa, what was it maybe a false positive? Now, because he was not automatically ruled out, and this is just me reading between the lines here, because he was not automatically ruled out for this game, I do believe that ultimately... He must have tested negative a second time around, and it, they must have listed it as a possible false positive. Because if it was confirmed for him to be positive, he would have been ruled out much earlier in the week. 
not waiting and waiting and waiting till Saturday and then finally ruling him out then. No, he would have been ruled out immediately upon testing negative that or testing positive that second time around. There would have been no questions about it. So because they tried to pretty much leave the door open and weren't and did not designate him out until later on in the week, it makes me believe that maybe he tested negative that second time around. And for whatever reason, uh, they just kept him out, maybe out of precaution, maybe because they weren't sure if it was definitely a false positive or not. There's a lot of things basically that boil down to the, that are up in the air when it comes to Adam Thielen and his availability for next week. So just stay tuned. Make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFFShow, and we'll keep you up to date throughout the week with all the player news. So now we can move into the New York Giants and the Cincinnati Bengals. Giants, as of now, recording this podcast, and this is before the Monday night game here, so the Eagles haven't played yet, but as of right now, the New York Giants are actually in first place. And upon their big reward for being 4-7 and seven and officially taking over first place for at least a 24-hour period is that they lose Daniel Jones to a hamstring injury. And from what I'm hearing, it might be a very serious hamstring issues, something similar to what maybe Austin Eckler wound up having, which would mean at this point in the season, it's possible Daniel Jones has not come back for the rest of the regular season. Now, the Giants were to somehow hold on to win his division. We could maybe see him back for the playoffs. I don't see how that happens with Colt McCoy as a starting quarterback, but the NFC East right now is so bad that, frankly, anything is possible at the moment. So, that's what's going on there. Now, what does that mean from a fantasy standpoint? Well, if it's going to be Colt McCoy moving forward for you know the foreseeable future at this point, you're dealing with a check down guy. First of all, you're dealing with a situation where you're going to continue to run the ball. And Wayne Gallman, 24 carries in this game, 94 yards and a touchdown. All that the 94 yards and a touchdown, of course, is great. And that's what makes your fantasy day. It's the 24 carries that caught my attention coming out of the bye week. Because it wasn't because before this was this was Gallman and at least somebody else. In the past couple of weeks, it had been Gallman and Alfred Morris being involved to a certain level. It was all Wayne Gallman in this game. Hands down, no doubt about it. All one hundred percent Wayne Gallman all the time. And it was good from a fantasy perspective. It'll continue to be that way because Gallman is also probably the better pass catcher they have on this team. I know they have Deion Lewis there, but I think you have to like more what Gallman might be able to do on the perimeter than a Deion Lewis at this point in his career. And while Gallman had three receptions that went for negative three yards at the end of the day, uh, that's not really being his fault. The big thing you key on there is the fact that he had five targets. Colt McCoy, kind of similar to Alex Smith, will target the crap out of the running back. So if Gallman is going to be the main pass-catching running back, he's going to basically be the bell cow guy, then he's going to have a really heck of a floor, even in games where he doesn't score. Because right now he's still on a scoring tear. I believe he's scored last four weeks in a row, or last four games in a row, I should say, because they had the bye week last week. So the second he doesn't score, you're wondering what's his floor going to actually be, what kind of situation he's going to actually be in. This is the first time we've seen him really dominate the carries the way that he has, but what I can guarantee you moving forward is that Colt McCoy's starting quarterback, he's going to dump it off to the running backs more and more and more, and that five targets that Gallman saw today is likely to turn to seven targets and be consistently high at that too. So it's a, it's a good thing for Wayne Gallman, that Colt McCoy is the quarterback, but not necessarily a great thing for anybody else. Now, first and foremost, we had to talk about Evan Ingram finally putting together a big performance in this week. Cincinnati Bengals are terrible against the tight end, first and foremost. But I talk about Evan Ingram going into it, how I would definitely had him as a must-play at the tight end position. The reason for that simply being is that 
you can't find too many tight ends that are actually targeted at a high clip. While Evan Ingram's stat line hasn't really been particularly impressive so far this season, he has been given the opportunities to be the guy within the offense. He finally came through with that today with six catches, 129 yards, and nine targets. Like, So you got Evan Ingram, who will continue to be somebody that you're probably going to be playing in your tight end situations right now. But it was finally good to see that the targets actually matched the production that he wound up having for you. Outside of that, Sterling Shepard, eight targets, seven catches, 64 yards. Golden Tate, nine targets, four catches, 36 yards. While Darius Slayton had a big fat goose egg with two targets. Focus in on that moving forward. Shepard had eight targets. Tate had nine. Slayton had two. There's a big reason for that. When you have Colt McCoy at the quarterback position, it's going to be out of the backfield, it's going to be keeping things short to the slot wide receiver or whoever the short route is on that game. That's who he's going to go to. So all of a sudden, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, while he's not going to be, he's still not going to be relevant to me in a fantasy perspective. I'm not going out to pick up Golden Tate, but there's a real chance that he's going to be the number two receiver rather than it being Darius Slayton, which it had been to this point. Now Colt McCoy is going to be the quarterback for the foreseeable future because that's what's in his repertoire. That's what he's going to do. So that's kind of in a mold what I expect to happen. We'll talk about it more in the preview shows this Thursday from 12 to 1.30, this Friday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. But those are the things I'm going to be on the lookout for with Colt McCoy having to take over. On the other side, I guess there's some good things we could talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And since there's a lot of bad, we'll, we'll start with the good things. The good thing was that with Brandon Allen at the helm, T. Higgins was still able to have a competent fantasy day. Five catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown on five targets, though, only. Uh, Tyler Boyd, three catches, 15 yards on six targets. Uh, and then, you know, A.J. Green completely goosed on three targets. Here's the problem. Cincinnati Bengals had no offense. Now, this is a game in which the team somehow stayed competitive throughout this game. Should never have happened. There's no reason other than it proves how bad the the Giants are as a football team, even with Daniel Jones at the helm, proves how bad they are. The Cincinnati Bengals were actually allowed to hang around in this game and make it interesting for four quarters because it shouldn't have been. Brandon Allen is a scrub, every bit of the scrub that he was. And now Zach Taylor, from what I'm hearing, is in a position that if he can't find a way to get some offensive production going, he's going to be out of a job soon. The other person we want to talk about here is Giovanni Bernard. Eight carries, 32 yards, two receptions, 17 yards. Another disappointing fantasy day. Everybody clamoring for Joe Mixon to return. The only thing I will say is that we have been a little bit worried about Samaja Perrine becoming more of a thing within this backfield because of the past couple of weeks he's been getting goal line carries. He had been getting about 40% of the carry work overall with Giovanni Bernard. In this game, Perrine did not receive one carry in this ballgame. Now, he did have one catch for two yards, but he did not have one carry in this ballgame. So, not that I'm saying that this one game proves that Giovanni Bernard is the bell cow, and if anything, this game could show you that even being the main running back might not mean much with the Cincinnati Bengals right now without Joe Burrow. It does give you some confidence that if your plan was to try to lean on Bernard until Joe Mixon comes back, that he's at least still going to be the main ball guy, ball carrier. It's not going to be Samaja Perrine coming out of the bye week suddenly usurping him. And I think a lot of people are kind of worried about that to some degree. So that's not going to be the case. But 
not having a piece of this Bengal offense right now may be the way to go. May be the way to go. With how poor of a performance that they get at quarterback position. It's not it wouldn't get any better if they had to go to Ryan Finley either, by the way. So just something to kind of keep in mind. We move into what was the big talk of the week, frankly. The game, the Saints, between the Saints and the Denver Broncos, the Broncos not having a true quarterback and only threw the ball nine total times in this game and had one completion for 13 yards in those nine passing attempts. This was an absolute joke. I felt bad for the Broncos. I really did. I understand the stance of the NFL. I understand why they want to take it, and I respect it to some degree. However, you're really going to make a team go out there with no quarterbacks None. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. And, and somehow think that this is still football? Come on. Come on. This was pathetic. It seriously was. Now, on the Broncos side, the things that we do need to talk about. Because we're not going to talk about the wide receivers. We're not going to talk about Noah Fant. We're not going to talk about Tim Patrick or Jerry Judy or KJ. We're not going to talk about them. You, you, you crumple this game up. You, you throw it away. This game had no impact on their fantasy value moving forward whatsoever. Because it told us nothing. What we do have to talk about, though, is the running backs. Phil Lindsay hurt his knee in this one. Pretty good feeling it's at least going to be more than just a one-week thing. Uh, so that would mean Melvin Gordon might go back to closer to what we saw in the beginning of the season, which was a guy who was a high-end RB2 because he'd be getting a bell cow type of workload. That's what they'll go back to if Phil Lindsay is, in fact, going to miss time with the knee issue, which we would, at this point, probably expect to have happen. So something to keep your eye on, but Melvin Gordon might be stepping back into a bell cow load That'll make him a high-end RB2 again. So all of a sudden, just in the nick of time, if you had Melvin Gordon, you might be able to have a much higher fantasy expectation for him in your playoff races right now. And we'll keep you up to date. Make sure you follow us at BillyUpMDFFShow on Twitter for those free player news update notifications. That was the only interesting thing to take out of it for the Denver Broncos side. The Saints side of things... Yes, Taysom Hill only threw the ball 16 times. Only for 78 yards. He had a much better time throwing the football against the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, he'll tend to do that. But it was clear from the get-go that the Saints knew that all they really had to do was make sure they stopped the run against the Denver Broncos and then they just play mistake-free football, which is basically what they set out to do. Taysom Hill still walked away with two rushing touchdowns. He was still a streamer. And you know what? Taysom Hill, Cam Newton, 
Same guy. Yeah. From a fantasy football perspective right now, Cam Newton and Taysom Hill are the same guy. If Cam Newton can hover around that top 12 quarterback position, then as long as Drew Brees is out, so will Taysom Hill. He's had two starts now, four rushing touchdowns. The Saints are also utilizing Taysom Hill the way the Patriots utilize Cam Newton at the goal line. They have put in goal line packages for him. Now, here's the difference. You already don't really want to touch a Patriot running back if you can at all help it. However, with the Saints, totally different scenario. Taysom Hill and their willingness to utilize Taysom Hill as a power back in the goal line situation is killing the value of Alvin Kamara. Who in this game was the second running back, not the lead guy. Tavius Murray had a huge game. I mean, 19 carries, 124 yards, two touchdowns. He broke a 36-yarder in this one. Had a goal line touchdown. He had a huge game. Active and in the and in the backfield. Kamara acted like he was the backup in this one. Now, before we talk about how the sky is falling on Alva Kamara now that Taysom Hill is taking over a quarterback, and I know that's coming because for the second week in a row, he wasn't involved in the pass game. I mean, I guess you look at it this way. This game, he actually had a catch, minus two yards on two targets. Second week in a row, second start for Taysom Hill. Once again, Alvin Kamara, not a thing in the passing game. You know if Alvin Kamara is not a thing in the passing game, that his ceiling goes right into the toilet. And then you have to start questioning his floor because he's never been a guy who's received the overall majority of the carries before. He just hasn't been. Latavius Murray's been consistently involved in that area. Now, this is the first guy in Latavius Murray actually way out carried him. And that brings me to my overall point that I think is more concerning about Alvin Kamara moving forward than Taysom Hill being the quarterback for an elongated period of time moving forward. And that is, I wonder how healthy he is. He's been dealing with a bit of a toe issue. Now, in this game, you can make the argument you didn't necessarily need him once you went up 17-0 going into the half. I can understand that. But he might be a little bit more banged up than they're letting on. And only in situations where they really need him to are they going to throw him out there. So part of this might be Taysom Hill and the way they're utilizing him in the red zone and the fact that he's not targeting Alvin Kamara as much as Drew Brees was. I think also part of it is that Alvin Kamara may not be as healthy as we would think he is. Might be a little bit more banged up. And while he's been able to active and still be able to go, they're not going to use him unless they really need to right now until he's healthy. And with a toe issue, unfortunately, that's just something that has a tendency to linger. So you're going to have to keep your eyes out for that. Is Alvin Kamara an RB1 moving forward? I think you still have to play him as a lock in your lineup. That's more what you're asking the question. But I think an argument could be made that, you know, him being ranked inside the top five is not going to be the most prudent thing and probably not going to happen very often right now until Drew Brees comes back. That I can tell you. You can't bench him. He's Alvin Kamara. You can't bench him. You can't. Am I a little bit worried about his fantasy value moving forward, especially this part of the year? Yeah, 100%. How could you not? But if you have him, you got to keep him in your lineup. I don't think this. Is, I also don't think this is the stepping off point for Latavius Murray to somehow be more involved either, though. So we'll clear that up right away. Still more of a high-end handcuff than he is anything else. And Michael Thomas, while it wasn't a great game for him, four catches, 50 yards, again, they didn't throw the ball very much in this game. He still had six targets. He was still by far the most targeted pass catcher. So when they go up against the Atlanta Falcons next week, and it's a little bit more competitive, and they actually have to throw the football, and most importantly, they're playing against a team who would 
who will at least knock on wood most likely have an actual quarterback. Well, then we'll see Thomas, we'll see them do something similar to what they did the first game against Atlanta, where we'll see Thomas be a little bit more involved. You'll see them throw the football a little bit more. And maybe in that game, even now Kamara might have a resurgence back to life. We'll have to see. In the passing game in particular. Let's move into the 49ers and the Rams here. The 49ers beating him out just with seconds left on the clock with the game-winning field goal. Big storyline with the 49ers, they're getting a little bit healthier. I mean, they didn't have Ayuk in this game, but they were able to get back Trent Williams. They were able to get back Devo Samuel, Raheem Mostert returned, Jeff Wilson returned. Still waiting on Tevin Coleman to make his return. Defensively, they had Richard Sherman come back. And they were coming off the bye week. And I think it's a big reason. And you had the Rams coming off of a huge win on Monday night and a short turnaround. And what was an emotional, most importantly, was an emotional win. A lot of times when you have an emotional game like that, an emotional win like that, you can come out a little bit flat the following week. San Francisco 49ers took advantage of that. Now, from a fantasy perspective, eh. Nothing, nothing blew you away with Nick Mullins, that's for sure. 252 yards, zero touchdowns, an interception. However, Raheem Mostert came back, scored a touchdown. Wasn't particularly efficient in this game, but the Rams' defense has been very, very good as of late. What was kind of interesting to me, though, was that Raheem Mostert had 16 carries. Jeff Wilson Jr. had 12. So Jeff Wilson Jr. coming back into the mix, he worked well ahead of Jarek McKinnon and was annoying enough, I think, to Raheem Mostert owners who had played him in his first game back to not allow him to maybe get closer to that 20-carry mark. But in this offense in particular, if you have a running back like Raheem Mostert who gets 16 carries, you'll take that all day every day and ultimately had a solid fantasy performance for you. Debo Samuel, woo, woo. I take back everything I said about Debo Samuel, (laughs) at least for this week. I didn't expect him to have a great week this week. I knew Brandon Ayuk was going to be out. Figure Samuel is going to see a very, very good Rams secondary who has been pretty much shutting down everybody. You knew who the number one pass catcher was going to be for this 49ers team. There's no question about that. So from a fan's perspective, you knew you have probably a decent floor. And you know he gets involved in the running game here and there. But a ceiling game? Not what I had in the cards. Not an 11 catch, 133 yard, and 13 target performance. Not what I thought was in the cards in this game. And Nick Mullins didn't play very well on top of it. But Debo Samuel, one, obviously he's clearly healthy. But two, if Brandon Ayuk was to continue to miss due to the COVID reserve protocol, Debo Samuel is somebody who I think you're going to have to plug in as your wide receiver three just because of how involved you know he's going to be compared to the rest of the wide receivers. Now, when Brandon Ayuk comes back, and that could be next week, they both eat into each other enough where I don't think either one of them has a great ceiling. I think you're having the conversation about are they low-end wide receiver threes or are they high-end wide receiver fours in that territory. You're, you're discussing whether you're putting them in the flex or not. Big games like this at a Debo Samuel haven't have actually happened that often. So I'm not going to go crazy if, if Samuel is going to be out there on the waiver wire. I'm not going to be going crazy picking up Debo Samuel because I know that those, those 13 targets – is not a, going to be something that's a regularity, especially with Brian Ayuk on his way back, and especially with the way this offense typically will operate in, in general anyway. Most of the time, the 49ers are not going to have wide receivers who are getting well over double-digit targets and be featured the way Devo Samuel was featured in this game. 
I do want to mention Jordan Reed, six targets, two catches, 18 yards. Should have had a bigger stat line. There was a couple times Nick Mullins missed him, but he's nothing more than a low-end streamer. Now let's move on in the Rams game. We know the first time around that the 49ers were able to hold Robert Woods and Cooper Cup in check, but they had both been playing very well as of late. Jared Goff had been playing very well as of late. And this game was in Los Angeles, where Goff typically plays a little bit better. But he didn't. 198 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. The 49ers got a lot of pressure on these guys. What I thought Tampa Bay was going to do is what the 49ers wound up doing, which was be aggressive on an offensive line that does not have Andrew Whitworth, and without Andrew Whitworth is a very subpar offensive line. And take advantage of that fact. And they did. They blew it up. They played on the other side of the line of scrimmage. It's a big reason why the 49ers wound up winning this game. It's also a big game. It was also a big reason why, for the most part, this running game of the Rams was never able to get going. It wasn't until Cam Akers popped a 61-yard run. And then following that, they actually gave him the goal line carry. So Cam Akers finally gets his first rushing touchdown of the season. That's right. His first rushing touchdown of the season in week 12 for Cam Akers in this one. Crazy considering the hype that he had for fantasy football purposes and a lot of other people. Not this show, not me, but a lot of other people out there were drafting this guy in the fifth round if you go back to, if you go back to the preseason drafts. Just, just, just saying, just putting that one out there. Darrell Henderson just was terrible in this game. 10 carries, 19 yards. What does this mean moving forward? It doesn't mean anything different than it's meant moving forward at any other point. No, this is not the game that Cam Akers suddenly takes over because he had the nice 61-yard run. No. It's not, that, that's not what's going to happen here. This is still a three-man carousel with Darrell Henderson sitting at the top, but, uh, but if I can help it, I'm not touching any of the Rams' backfield. Nothing changes there. This is not the big breakout performance of Cam Akers before you get too far ahead of yourself. Now, Robert Woods was able to have a decent game at least. He had 12 targets, 7 catches, 80 yards. But again, Cooper Cup was unable to get going as 49ers. A little bit better, I guess, but not much. Two catches, 41 yards, 5 targets in this game. Better days are ahead for Woods and better days are ahead for Cup. I like how they've been playing as of late. You know the 49ers have the Rams number, especially from a schematic standpoint. They just seem to be in Sean McVay and the Rams' offense's heads quite a bit. Enough to the point where Rams really haven't had good performance against the 49ers since Sean, since Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have been the head coaches, both of them together. Just hasn't really happened. The biggest thing the 49ers tend, seem to tend to do is they be, they're able to shut down their wide receivers for the most part. Better days of Cooper Cup, I'm not going to worry about it. Let's move into our last game for today's show, which is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And when you look at the stat line, for the Kansas City Chiefs. We look at Patrick Mahomes having 462 yards through the air with three passing touchdowns. When you look at Tyreek Hill having 269 yards and three touchdowns on 13 catches and 15 targets in this game, absolutely insane. And we take in consideration that Tyreek Hill had 200 yards in the first quarter alone. You would think to yourself, have you not watched this game and had you not be looking at the box score, Chiefs must have blown out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? No. They won this game by three points. They won 27-24. to 24. So even with that, those insane stat lines, the Bucs hung around. And they came back and they made this a game in the fourth quarter. 
I thought the Bucks showed a lot of resiliency. And while it's tough because it's another loss and this pretty much puts them out of contention, I shouldn't say it definitely puts them out of contention, but makes it very hard for them to have any real shot at trying to win the division now. It is interesting that they were able to hang around to make this game still competitive at the end, even though Kansas City came out and put up 17 points on them in the first quarter. It was very interesting to see. Now, outside of the big performances of Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and also I, I want to add this little tidbit too. Somebody needs to make a phone call to Todd Bowles and Carlton Davis and say, hey, you know that Tyreek Hill guy, the number 10 guy? Yeah, you don't cover him one-on-one. <laughs> like, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, there's not a corner in the league who can stick Tyree Kill one-on-one. Not one. Not one corner in the league who can stick Tyree Kill one-on-one without help over the top. Not one. I don't know what Tampa Bay was thinking on that one. Just wanted to add that part in there. Everybody else, though, was about what you would kind of expect. Travis Kelsey was good. I mean, it wasn't a huge stat line, but eight catches, 82 yards, eight targets. You'll take that all day, every day. Sammy Watkins, only four catches, 38 yards, but he got the seven targets. That seven target mark is kind of what I had in mind for Sammy Watkins, seven to nine targets each and every week. He got right there with his first week game back. I do believe there's going to be games in which Sammy Watkins can be played as a wide receiver three in your lineups, and the seven targets helps solidify that. Clyde Edwards-Alaire did not have a very good game. Also pretty predictable. You can't run the ball in Tampa Bay. 11 carries, 37 yards. Nothing really changes for the Chiefs overall other than you just sat back and watched Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill go absolutely bananas for your fantasy lineups this week. Move over to the Tampa Bay side of the ball. Tom Brady is just not on the same page as his wide receivers right now. That just what that was just became abundantly clear. He's just not on the same page with his wide receivers. Now, whether it's the wide receivers' fault, whether it's Tom Brady's fault, that's something for them to work out in the locker room. And to be honest with you, I think it's more on the receivers' fault, especially Mike Evans right now. But it could go either way, and it could be a timing issue, and they're still trying to fill each other out. I mean, this is the first season they've been together. However, from a fantasy perspective, Brady still came through. Told you guys to continue to play him as a top 10 option against Kansas City Chiefs in this week in a game in which you knew there was going to be points scored. 345 yards, three touchdowns. Did have the two picks. But still, you'll take that performance all day, every day out of a Tom Brady. And here's what else I'll say. Even though it's clear that him and Mike Evans are really just not on the same page all the time together, he has still made a point where he's going to give Mike Evans opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for them to get on the right page at the very least because he still walked away with nine targets in this game. Not only three catches, 50 yards, does have two touchdowns, continues to be a red zone favorite of Tom Brady so far this season. And like I said, the nine targets is the big thing you harp on. Even though they didn't seemingly weren't on the same page for a lot of this game, Tom Brady didn't shy away from him. He didn't say, the hell with you. I'm just going to go to Godwin and Antonio Brown. He kept giving him chances, meaning I'm not worried about Evans' target share going down all that much. The odd man out in this game was actually Antonio Brown, surprisingly enough. Only three targets, two catches, 11 yards. And the big thing with, with that was because of Rob Gronkowski, who had seven targets, six catches, goes over 100 yards in this game. Great performance for a tight end. Phenomenal performance for a tight end right now. What this shows to me, though, is that only one of Gronk or Brown can eat at the same time. And it makes sense because they're running in a similar area of the field. Brown often working as the slot receiver, perimeter guy, Gronk over operating over the intermediate middle part of the field. 
it seems like one or the other can eat. The last, past few weeks has been Antonio Brown. This week happened to be Rob Gronkowski. That means you still have to continue to play Rob Gronkowski as a top 12 tight end, but in games in which Antonio Brown gets heavily involved, you might not see as good of a game out of Gronk. Now, Chris Godwin is Chris Godwin. I think Chris Godwin is the most consistent, dependable wide receiver from a fantasy perspective and probably on this Tampa Bay Buccaneer team in general. Nine targets, eight catches, 97 yards. He has his role. There does seem to be comfortability right there between him and Tom Brady. There doesn't seem to be as much guesswork. They seem to be on the page on the same page more often than not. Chris Godwin will continue to be a lower-end wide receiver, two high-end wide receiver, three moving forward. Nothing changes there. He's probably the most consistent guy from a week-to-week-to-week basis. Tony Brown continues to be a wide receiver four because he still has that ability. He still gets targeted more times than not. This is the first game we've really seen him there where he wasn't as involved as the other guys were. He was kind of the odd man left out. And this is the first time we've seen it this season. So he still has wide receiver four type of value. I do want to talk about Ronald Jones in this backfield. Now, he only had nine carries for 66 yards. That's also something else that needs to get corrected. This offense with Bruce Arians, they need to get back to realizing what it is that they have on their hands, which means they need to get a running game going so Tom Brady has play action. And allow Tom Brady to actually get into rhythm. That's where he excels. When he has a running game that he can use play action off of, and he's allowed to be in rhythm. And that means maybe a couple dink and dunk throws, getting some easy ones out there, start developing a little a little beat and a little pep to his step. That's when he excels. So Ronald Jones against the Kansas City Chiefs, while I know they were down big in the beginning, they did claw their way back. For Ronald Jones to only get nine carries in this game against the Kansas City Chiefs, with the way to attack them is with the run game, which is a little surprising to me. Just a little surprising to me. Now, Jones, 66 yards on the ground, comes through for you if you played him in fantasy football because he had that really nice catch and run for a touchdown, 37-yard touchdown in this game in the receiving game. And Leonard Fournette was clearly the second guy to Ronald Jones. Now, technically, it was 10 touches to six, which isn't a huge split. But overall, I think you can have the confidence going in for a week-to-week basis as of right now that Ronald Jones will be the starter. Ronald Jones will get the majority of the opportunities. And as a result of that, will be in that low-end RB2 territory based upon what their matchup is and how the game script goes. I think that much became clear in those watching this game as well. But that's going to do it for us. That's going to wrap it up for the Sunday afternoon recap of Week 12. I hope everybody enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow again with the Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report. Make sure to check us out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android app or WWSRN for iOS. You can always check out this show on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you like to go. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Make sure to check us out on this Thursday from 12 to 1.30, back to our regular time after the holiday is over. Check us out live on there. Hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Everybody stay safe. I hope you guys get your Monday night miracles or even possibly your Tuesday night miracles. We'll talk about a little bit of that tomorrow, and we'll see you guys then. Take care. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 